Hey guys, and welcome to the Money Podcast. You know, back when I was born in 1955, the median house price was around $11,000. Today, $330,000. You know, when I got my learner's permit, that was in 1970, the median price of a new car was $3,500. Today, $41,000. When my father was born, the average annual household income was $3,300. Today, it's about $70,000. These are all examples of inflation, the erosion of the purchasing power of the dollar. You ignore it at your peril, especially if you're anywhere near retirement age, since these are the years your income will likely rise less than prices will. We tend to think of inflation as a consistent, constant thing, but it's really not. Sometimes inflation is low. Sometimes prices actually drop year to year. But these days, inflation is rising faster than it has in years, in some cases in decades. So what is an investor to do? That's what this week's Money Podcast is all about. We're going to try to figure out if the inflation we're now experiencing is temporary, like the Fed says it is, or if it's here to stay. And if we are entering a period of high inflation, we're going to talk about some ways you might be able to fight back. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hello, Stacy. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Um, very inflated. <laughs> also with us today is our special guest, Chris Arrestus. Chris has been on one of our other podcasts. He was a great guest. We had him back. He's also a retirement expert. He's the president of retirementgenius.com. Hello, Chris. Hey, great to be back again with you all. Glad to have you. Okay, guys, before we get started, our usual disclaimer, should you hear about investments on this podcast, that doesn't mean they're recommendations. You never invest based solely on what you hear on this podcast, not on our advice, because we don't know your situation. You got to form your own opinion. You got to make your own decisions. Okay, now let's get back to the topic at hand. And that topic is, of course, inflation. Um, how about some examples of inflation, guys? What's, what's happening nowadays? What's going up? Well, you know, for the last decade, the average rate of inflation has been about 2%. But then this year, we've seen it go up in more in the neighborhood of 8%. Uh, certainly, a lot of that is is attributable to market conditions that have come uh, from the COVID uh, environment that we've been living in. Um, we've seen a disruption in employment patterns. We've seen disruption in, in, in supply chains. We've seen disruption in, in agriculture and in, in food availability. Uh, uh, is that a permanent condition? I hope not. It seems like we're fighting this fight and, and hope to come out the other side of it. Uh, but no matter what happens, there's certainly going to be changes in the economy, changes in what are, what are used to be a traditional work pattern, work environment. But are we going to keep ourselves at this rate of inflation? Uh, it seems very unlikely. I think we'll see it coming back down in 2022 to more normal levels. Uh, but there, there actually uh, will be some some uh, opportunities for relief, for relief, particularly for seniors, uh, because this month there's actually going to be an announcement about what the cost of living adjustment will be for Social Security, uh, which on average over the last 10 years has been about 1.6% of a COLA increase, which has not kept up with inflation. Uh, but going into 2022, which we'll know uh, shortly here in the month of October, that uh, COLA increase for Social Security could be in the neighborhood of 6% or greater. That would be awesome, huh? 
I'm not on Social Security yet, but I'll <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, for seniors who who are living on fixed incomes, uh, they deserve a raise, and it looks like they might be getting one. Finally, but you know, t- can you guys name? And I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but name some stuff that's going up. Gas prices way higher than they've been, although they're really not that high historically, but but they're certainly higher than they were last year. Right. Yeah. I think one of the big things too, um, used cars is actually yep. those those things are on the rise. Um and I mean it it's it's one of those weird situations. It happened uh this way also in twenty eleven, the last time I bought a new car, uh, where it was actually cheaper to buy a new car uh than some of the late model used cars. And it happened again this year when I was uh car shopping. And I found that trying to get a late model used car, something in the realm of 2018, 2019, was actually more expensive uh, than just buying new by the time I did dealer incentives and all that good stuff. So yeah, so that's been kind of interesting to see. And also meat products like like bacon and steak, <laughs> those, those yeah. things are on the rise as well. And I think it's probably supply chain issues, right? What about houses? They're, they're screaming. Mm. Where, where do you live, Chris? I'm 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 up in New England in Portland, Maine. How how are housing prices up yonder? Uh, they've they've shot through the roof. There's no question about it. We live in South Florida. Darren and I both super expensive. I mean, like my house is yeah. gone up. I'm going to say forty percent in like a year. And and also and one of the biggest uh, one of the largest increases in the country is in Idaho, where Miranda lives. Yes, it's out of control here. So we've got our bases covered. Housing's going berserk. So housing, yeah. used cars, gasoline, any number of things are going up. Food. And, and and it's scary. And I bet it's real scary if you're retired. Yeah, that's why I wanted to ask Chris the question why why you think it's it's going down. I mean, rent has increased eleven to twenty one percent year over year, which kind of puts pressure on workers to ask for more higher wages, which then you know, now the stores, restaurants and hotels and all these guys have to pay those higher wages, they're gonna put that into their pricing. And now we're going to tax the rich who own all these things, which will probably lead to a nasty 2024 election. And I mean, eventually, of course, shortages will decrease and and shipping constraints will decrease. But that's probably going to only benefit price controlled products out of China, not American goods. So how is it going to be better? And then we got Europe that's going to be going through probably inflation problems that disrupts travel. So how is it going to get better? How it will get better is is, is normal. You'll see market conditions normalize. You're just not. You can't sustain a a annual rate of inflation of seven eight percent. It's just this is a market reaction to uh, an unprecedented situation that that hit not only the United States but the entire the entire globe. Uh, as it is brought under, as COVID is brought better under control. Uh, as 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 markets ad, uh, adapt to to the changing conditions that we're we're watching happen in real time, uh, you will see the rate of inflation subside. Uh, will it return to a two percent average rate? Uh, I don't. I can't predict what it's going to return to, but will it stay at seven eight percent on an annual basis? I just don't see that happening. Yeah, well, here's the thing, Aaron, and, th- and this is really the purpose of this podcast. The The Federal Reserve, uh, Chairman Powell of the Federal Reserve, is saying this is all transitory inflation because what happened was we shut down during COVID. 
Then there was this demand that we've talked about on this podcast. I, I always call it Crouching Tiger. You know, as soon as we can get out of the house, we're going to go spend a bunch of money. And that happened. And so demand is outstripped supply. Now, sooner or later, these demand and supply will get back into equilibrium. Uh, at, you know, absent any government intervention, this is how economies work. You know, you've got demand for a product. I start producing the product until that demand is met. And so the, the, these supply constraints, the supply chain problems, will eventually get solved. And so now what, what Powell is saying is that, you know, so there's not, don't worry about inflation. It's going to be fine. Just let things get back into balance and everything's going to be cool. The problem that I've got, though, and the things that makes me a little suspicious, I think, I think that is true. But here's what I, but you, we start paying somebody more. And right now, see, we've got labor market shortages, right? We've got jobs that aren't getting filled. Look at, especially in the service sector, people, people are having to pay their servers and restaurants more money to get them to come back to work because they're scared, you know, they're scared of COVID or whatever the case may be. Maybe they found a better job. But the point is, wages are rising and that ain't going away. You're, you're telling me you're going to go, oh, you know, supply constraints over now. Well, we're just going to lower your pay 50 cents an hour. Nope. That ain't happening. Uh, you, you bought this house for $1.2 million. You're going to start selling it for 900000 because lumber prices have finally started to ease? I don't think so. So this, this to me is the, and, and again, I, I don't know, I'm not saying this is the truth. This is the fact. But this is what I'm thinking. There are some of these things that are going to solve themselves over time. There are some of these things that I think will become the basis of larger inflation, bigger inflation than we've had in many years. That's my thought. Are wages really increasing for the middle class or just the lower class? I haven't seen really too much wage increase in uh, middle class. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know whether, but I think wages are going up. And I think that's probably more true of hourly workers than it is of uh than it is of salary workers, but I but that's a guess. I don't really know the answer to that. I don't know if either one of you two do, Miranda or Chris. But wages are definitely going up, and th those are those tend to be inflationary. Yeah, I mean that's just a a labor supply and demand issue. Yeah, yeah, but but you agree though, Chris, that once you once you started paying me fifteen dollars an hour, you're not going to go. You're going to say, oh, you know, we've got enough workers now, Stacey. We're just going to lower your pay to thirteen dollars an hour. You're not going to do that, right? Yeah, it would be it would be pretty it would be pretty tough to to hang on to those workers that are hard to find to begin with if you start lowering anybody's wages. And remember too, what the ripple effect of all this stuff is, Aaron. Okay, you you got hired at thirteen dollars an hour. Now all of a sudden, because of COVID, they had to pay me fifteen dollars an hour to do your job, do the same job. Okay, that means you're gonna now you're getting paid less than me, and I just started. And that and the other you know, guy who's above us, our manager, now he's getting paid the same amount I'm getting paid. Or just a dollar more, he wants more money too. So this ripples through the whole the whole economy. I, I believe, you know, like I said, you know, I'm not a professor of economics, but this makes sense to me. So I think some of this inflation is transitory, and some of this may be baked into the pie. Now, how much of that and and what the effect is and how long it lasts, that I don't know. What do you think, Miranda? You haven't said much. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's kind of interesting to see how it goes. As Chris pointed out, we are at the tail end of kind of uh, a circumstance we haven't seen for 100 years, a pandemic of this level. We're still in the middle of it. It's not over yet. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see what what kind of shakes out of this. 
and uh, whose wages do get uh, do get impacted. As Aaron pointed out, I haven't seen a whole lot of information on uh, salary workers seeing uh, huge raises. Uh, mostly, it's been at hourly uh, hourly workers uh, who are kind of trying to figure that uh, figure that piece out. And then, of course, at the uh, at the top end, where you're seeing some uh, increase in wealth due to stock market gains. So it's kind of an interesting. Uh, an interesting look at stuff. Um, I I am actually more interested in, you know, will this actually change the way we work? I mean, so many people are being forced back into the office and aren't happy about that. If enough people actually stop coming in and if they start demanding more things, will we start seeing increases for salaried workers? Uh, perhaps. Because, you know, right now, hourly workers have been able to just be like, I'm noping out of this. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, to, to, you know, then you have to raise wages. Well, if salary workers start doing that, too, and say there's their issues are going to be different, they're going to be like, well, um, we've been working home for more than a year now. I don't see why I have to come to the office. I don't see why I can't have a more flexible schedule. And once they start really, truly, I mean, they talk about the, the great resignation, but so far, that hasn't really materialized. And so once they start noping out of it as well, I don't know, we might see some interesting new changes. I, I read an article, I'm going to share it with you, and then we're going to take a break. But uh, there was a, it's an article called, let me see if I can find it. Inflation is here to stay and may top 4% this year, says professor with a peerless track record of predictions. That's, that's, that's actually the whole title. Uh, it's, I read it on Market Watch. You can, you can read it yourself because it's going to be a link in our show notes. But I want to read you just a couple little things from it. This guy's name is Campbell Harvey of Duke University. He's an economist. Um, here's what's really important for investors to understand, he says. Number one, what impacts asset prices is longer-term inflation surprises. What we're seeing today actually, in my opinion, this is still him talking, is a combination of two things. We're seeing some inflation that is purely transitory, supply chain issues. Those issues are causing, for example, the price of lumber, shipping, chips, used cars, and other stuff to shoot up to extraordinary levels. Those levels are unlikely permanent, and there will be some retreat from those levels. I also believe that there is some component of what we're seeing today that is a readjustment of longer-term expectations. So the numbers we are seeing are a combination of temporary and longer-term effects. Some of the price increases will be reversed. However, other drivers, such as housing costs and wage hikes, are longer-term in nature. Close quote. No, well, it sounds logical. It does sound logical. And it sounds logical. That's what I was just saying because I had read that article. <laughs> But anyway, we're going to take a really quick break here, pay a couple of bills, but we're going to be right back. You know what we're going to talk about when we come back? If, if there is going to be some inflation, how are we going to beat it? How are we going to defeat it? That's what we're going to talk about as soon as we're back. Okay, we're back. So we, we've, we, don't, we don't know for sure whether there's going to be inflation or not, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to plan for a little bit, right? So, and actually, let's turn to our retirement expert, Chris. Chris, you've got retired clients almost exclusively, I assume, right? Uh, well, no, not not just retired, but people who are planning for retirement planning as retire. well. Okay. Yeah. So, so part of that retirement planning is dealing with inflation, presumably, is it not? Well, absolutely. You have to. You've got to take into account inflation and staying ahead of inflation because if your money's positioned in a way that it isn't, you, you're losing money. Okay. So 
what do we do? Well, for for people who are going to be saving and investing, and particularly as they move into their retirement years, there's an old, I think, an outdated strategy of you got to move, put all your money into into safe, low risk vehicles like CDs or money market accounts. Uh, the problem is in the current interest rate environment, those vehicles are maybe producing half a percent of return. I was going to say, and, ha, 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 those are a joke. I mean, they're a joke. Right. Now, now they're, 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 they're a good vehicle to, to have readily available cash that's giving you at least something more than it's sitting in, a, in a, just a regular savings account or checkbook. Uh, but it's certainly you can't get to a point in your life where you retire and then you put all your money into, into positions that aren't going to continue to perform and at least try and beat inflation. So what we give people the recommendation of is park maybe a year or two of your cash needs in a vehicle like that, but you've got to stay invested uh, uh, and, and be shooting for a 5% return to, to keep yourself ahead of inflation. So it's a matter of how you're positioning your money in retirement and not just immediately going into the most conservative possible positions. Cause if you're doing that, you're actually losing money cause you're not keeping up with inflation. And just to restate, even if, even if this professor or anyone's wrong about inflation, even if we just go back to normal rates of inflation, there's still inflation. I mean, you still need to deal with it, even if it's 1%. Right. Yeah. And, and it's going to be more than one percent. Again, the last 10 years, it's averaged about two percent. And, and going forward, it could, it could maybe be even better. And don't forget, if we we work our way through the current environment, the, the covid situation to, to get to, to some form of whatever the new normal will be, are we ready for for a future situation, whether it's another pandemic, uh, climate change related? What what other pressures are coming? Uh, and are we ready for another round of that? Are, you know, are we going to be in a situation in life where we ride uh, one crisis and as things start to subside, we think we're just going back to the to the good old days and then another crisis comes and we didn't get ready, uh, learn our lessons and get ready for the next round. And that's a big part of it, too, is we people need to be learning their lessons on an individual basis and, and, and as, uh, you know, as nations, as states. Uh, to be ready for the next time we might find ourselves in a situation that can create these disruptions again. I have to, I have to confess something. I'm actually kind of hoping interest rates go up some. <laughs> I've got a lot of money in the savings account. I mean, I've got a lot of money in the stock market, a lot. But I, you know, I'm not going to put my whole net worth in the stock market for obvious reasons. So I've got a lot of money sitting in what amounts to savings account. I mean, it's money market funds. I, I kind of hope there's a little inflation, so interest rates go up a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't mind earning some risk-free interest for a change, you know, instead of instead of risking my butt in the stock market, which has yeah. paid off handsomely for me. But I, I'm ready for some savings that actually pay something that aren't risky. So I wouldn't mind a little inflation, I guess. I, I don't want to jinx people or anything like that, because I, I also lived in 1981. I was an adult. I, I became a stockbroker in 1981 when interest rates were literally 20% and mortgages were 14%. And that's no way to live either, believe me. But I wouldn't mind having a 5% savings account <laughs> to go with my stocks. But, but now the stock market will go down when, when interest rates start going up, right? Anyone, anyone? <laughs> um, I mean, you always say yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, generally, yes, but I've stopped expecting the stock market to behave the way it's supposed to, like for the last two years now. So it's fine. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, well, the, the stock market generally will go up when interest rates or go down rather when interest rates rise because of what I just said. If I can earn 5% in a T-bill, why the hell am I going to take a risk on Apple? You know, uh, so that's one reason. There are other reasons why. But but over the long term, stocks are also an inflation hedge, which sounds kind of the opposite point. But they're but both things are true. You you do. And, and I think that's what you were saying, right, Chris, is that um, you were supposed to you, you want to own stocks in order to uh, stave off inflation for the long term when you're a retiree, right? That's right. That's right. You've got to be shooting you, you, through your retirement years. You've got to be shooting for at least a 5% return. Yeah. And, and and that means stocks. Right. It's it's the only place you're going to – stocks, uh, real estate, uh, you know, uh, real estate investment trusts. There's a variety of ways to approach uh, a diversified uh, portfolio of investments, some of it in safe cash-based vehicles and then some of it in 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 more risky growth vehicles and it doesn't mean you have to go into super uh, aggressive risky positions uh but but a moderate amount of risk and some diversification to get you at least at a place where you're trying to keep yourself ahead of inflation so your money's not eroding and you're losing money yeah and Randy you haven't said much about this but I know you've talked about it before we talked about it before what do you think people should do to offset inflation uh, well, I mean, I, I think it just sort of depends on where you're at with your strategy and everything. Um, for me, I, I think having a portfolio that meets your needs, we all know how much um, I personally use the bucket strategy for money I'm going to need, you know, more immediately. I kind of make sure that I have access to that cash so I don't have to sell when the market is down. Uh, but I do like to leave a good chunk in stocks so that we can you know, kind of beat in my personal portfolio has a better chance of beating inflation over time. So I think that's uh, very useful. And then I also really like um, income investments. So I do like uh, having something like, uh, you know, <laughs> like dividends, dividend stocks, especially dividend aristocrats. So just kind of a way to, to bring that in. Um, and just kind of being ready for that because eventually, I mean, your, your buying power is just going to go down over time, regardless of the, it, it just, you know, a matter of what's the rate of inflation. You need to tell people forward. what dividend aristocrats are because they will, some people may not. Yeah. Know. So dividend aristocrats are stocks, uh, are companies that pay dividends. So do a regular payout to shareholders out of their profits. Um, they do a regular payout every um they do a regular payout every year, but a dividend or like every quarter, every six months, every month, depending on the company. But with a dividend aristocrat, they are companies that have raised their dividend at least once a year, every year for 25 years. If you miss a year, you're off the list and it takes you another 25 years to get back on. <laughs> wow. So, so I like them just because, sure, they can always cut their dividend. It's, it might happen. Uh, but you're... You're choosing this helps you choose companies that are reasonably stable because they've been stable enough to raise their dividends over time. And then they're more likely to maintain that dividend even through a downturn. Cool. Uh, one thing I'll mention too in passing is that if you do see inflation that looks like it may be sticking around and you are a trader of stocks uh, or a shorter term investor or, or a buyer of individual issues versus mutual funds, one thing you might want to avoid in inflationary periods is what are called uh, consumer durables. 
so the the stocks of companies that uh, that make cars, uh, appliances, televisions, jewelry, things that things that last over three years is technically what a consumer durable is called, and people tend not to buy those when inflation is high. Now, and the worse the inflation is, the more this is true. But when inflation, I was mentioning before, a blanket statement, when interest rates go up or inflation goes up, stocks go down. Well, stocks that um, have stable income, uh, in other words, stocks that aren't cyclical, think of Apple perhaps, or, or Google or something like that, are gonna be better bets than stocks like GM or Ford. I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. I'm not saying this is happening now, but in periods of inflation, uh, of high inflation, you want to be, you do not want to be in consumer durables. You, what you want to be in, what, what do you think the best thing you could be in is? Drugs, because the, uh, this is an inelastic demand curve. People have to have them no matter how much they cost. So these, these are things, that's something that would do well. It's interesting though, inflation. Um, so to fight inflation, we need to have, a plan. We need to uh, have some of our money in assets, hard assets, because they tend to go up like houses or, or other real estate. Uh, we need to have some money in the stock market, but we don't expect, we expect it to go down the short term, but to help us hedge inflation over the long term. Having debt is a great idea. I personally own my house free and clear. I've thought about getting a mortgage on it because if I can borrow money at 2% and inflation goes to six, <laughs> that's a nice spread for me. You know, if I can put money in the bank, uh, at, at, you know, and earn 6% and pay two on, on a mortgage. That's awesome. I've not done that because it's also kind of risky, obviously. That leverage can work against you too. But, you know, debt is a good thing to have when interest rates are going up. Um, let me see if I can think of anything else. Well, there's non-stock options, you know, just uh, spending less, uh, eating at home, buying generic, cutting just generally cutting back, getting uh, gases high, get a, uh, get a cash back credit card, make sure you buy all your gas on it. You know, and you know what else, by the way, I wrote an article, I, I was researching this podcast, I wrote, I looked at it, found an article I wrote 10 years ago, 2011. And uh, it's also in a book I wrote, but your personal inflation rate, when you read about inflation, uh, it's it's easy to kind of get panicked about it, prices rising. But you know, the truth is with the inflation is measured by the consumer price index in the United States, the CPI. And what they do is they go out and they borrow, they buy a whole bunch of stuff or they check prices rather on a basket of goods and services. And then they determine whether those things have gone up and they put them all together and they present it as one percentage rate. But the, what's interesting is if you look at the, um, at the CPI, uh, it, it's it, the things it's made up of, its components may have a lot of effect on you or they may not. For example, housing. That's 40% of the consumer price index. Now, if you own your own house, now three, three fourths of that number comes from rent and the and owner's equivalent rent. The rest is divided between utilities and furnishings, but essentially almost half of the consumer price index is made up of your house. Now, if you own your house free and clear and your house is going up in value, you're happy <laughs> that, the, that inflation's making your house worth more. Not sad. You're not, if you're not if you're not out there buying a house or trying to rent one, inflation's working in your favor, not against you. And that's almost half a CPI. It's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Uh, food and beverages, 16% of CPI. Transportation, 17% of CPI. So if you cook at home and don't go out to eat, I mean, obviously food can go up too. But restaurant meals, that the food and beverages component also includes restaurant meals. But there are ways that you can cut back. And so you can you have you can have an effect 
on the amount of inflation you're personally feeling. And so I would encourage you to, to take a look at this. You can look it up on, on our site, Money Talks News, but you can look it up anywhere. Just look at the components of CPI and see how much of it really affects you personally. And you know, another huge thing, education. If you're not going to college, you're putting someone else through college, that ain't affecting you at all. So it may not be as bad as it looks is the point I'm trying to make here. We have, do we have time? We have time for a really quick question. Do you, do you have the question, Miranda? Uh, I, I do have a question. Uh, okay. Our question is from Kathleen. Kathleen says, I have a, <clears throat> Kathleen says, I have a question regarding a HELOC, and that's a home equity line of credit. If you pay off the HELOC and close it, does it affect your credit score in a negative manner? I will try to answer this, and you guys can chime in right after me if I leave anything out of you or if you disagree. The truth is, paying off a loan of any kind may improve your credit. It may hurt your credit. It may do nothing to your credit score. A, a, a score drop could happen if you if a loan if you paid off a loan it was the only loan in your credit report. For example, let's say you paid off your your um, HELOC it was the only loan you had. Well, that limits your credit mix and that accounts for ten percent of your FICO score. So you theoretically could it could you could go down, but short term particularly more so than long term. But there, there's stuff like this that could affect your credit score. But you know what? Here's the thing though, guys, and here's the bottom line of all this. Getting rid of a loan is always a win. <laughs> You'll be getting richer, right? Because you're no longer paying interest to a bank. So reducing your debt, uh, it may also lower your debt to income ratio, which lenders like. So it could make your, your uh, credit score up even. But the bottom line is this. If paying off a loan makes sense, don't worry about a brief effect on your credit score. Pay it off. Make yourself richer. Don't make the bank richer. It's just that simple. That's my take. What about you guys? I mean, it sounds reasonable. I mean, we, we all know that I like using I like using loans to buy cars cheap. So I mean, and uh, and uh, as long as I can, as long as I can get more in the market than what I'm paying in interest, I I'm not in I'm never in a hurry to pay off my debt. But um, but that's just my level of risk and where I'm at. Any comment, Chris? Uh, no, I think you covered it well. Just to just always remember there's a difference between lines of credit and loans. You know, lines of credit can be static. You could you could have it sitting there like, for example, if you were using a reverse mortgage. You, you, you don't have to draw down that money. It's there to take if you need it. Um, whereas with a loan, you're taking the, the full sum. Uh, and deploying it with a line of credit, you can replenish it and and it could still sit there and be there as as uh, a safety net for you in the future. So just just make sure you're, 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 you you understand the differences between a, a loan and a line of credit when you're looking at using debt vehicles. Excellent point and one that I did not say. I'm glad, glad you mentioned that. Absolutely true. All right then. I guess we are pretty much running out of time, guys. But you know, we're never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes, always. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is mirandamarkwit.com. And Chris, too, at retirementgenius.com. You got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest? Tell us about it. Email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one last thing, if you appreciate what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to this podcast. It takes you two seconds. Really helps us, though. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. And also tell your friends. 
I'm Stacy Johnson. And I'm Miranda Marquette. You deflated my inflation fears once again. <laughs> Chris? Oh, hey, hey, and Chris Arrestus with Retirement Genius. Great to be here again with you all. Great to have you, Chris, as always. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. And we'll see you right here next time. <laughs>